Hello, Reefa here. I hope you enjoyed series two of Refigure, which just finished last week. Chris and I are on a summer break, but we'll be back in autumn with series three. For now, here are some of the outtakes and conversations we had to cut because they were too long. Before we roll the tape, if you're into this Refigure podcast, please like and subscribe and especially leave a nice review. Here are some of the outtakes. Thanks so much for listening. This is Refigure with Chris and Reefo. A weekly dive into our favourite bits of culture, tech and diversity. We just had our wedding anniversary, our 14th wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary! And before that, Reefa attempted to send a very expensive bunch of flowers to her mum for Mother's Day. Very exciting bunch I'm of... I'm overtired. It's been a very busy month. A very exciting big box of flowers that she ordered from M&S to send to her mum which Julie turned up at our house on Mother's Day morning. It's not funny. It was very funny. I thought about taking them up to sit to her, but it wasn't possible. I know, anyway, that was crazy. You were genuinely just going to go and get on a train. But there's a bloody best bus replacement service, isn't there? Yes. Or I could have jumped in a car, but there wasn't any. James Corden, everybody loves him, don't they? I watched this thing the other day. I don't know why I watched it, right? It was about... He loves to tell everybody how he's friends with famous people. So he's friends with David Beckham and he does a prank on David Beckham and uh, gets this paper mache statue made of him. And he thinks it's the real thing that's going to go in the LA Galaxy Stadium. And he's, bless him, David Beckham, such a well brought up young man. He is absolutely livid because it's really horribly ugly statue. I found it really amusing. It's quite amusing. But James Corden is probably really mean. Though, the thing is, you know where people are mean. It just comes through in the art, doesn't it, Chris? I don't know. But James Corden isn't on, you know, isn't on the te- on the twits. Or what's the other one? The Irish one. who has got a chat show that everybody loves. Graham Norton is not on Twitter being mean to people he's probably quite mean sometimes in his comfort of his own home but he's not broadcasting because he he's not what's the word like sort of psychotic that's what um Ricky Gervais is probably a little bit psychotic <laughs> none of them have got going on podcasts going on about other people like we are yeah, no what are you reading for what are you reading for what are you reading for what are you reading say it in a nicer way well, some people have given me feedback that they're not into this what you're reading for. I've never heard jingle. that. Two people told me. The jingle or the section? No, actually, I t- delete that, right? I will delete. I'm so, deleting a lot of this. So, my friend Lawrence told me, when well, he sort of shouted it in my ear at the Jim Bob gig, that he really loved the podcast, so thank you very much for that feedback. But he... Um, he found the jingle really annoying because he find himself singing that it's an earworm. <coughs> what us singing? What are you reading for? Awesome. He'll be doing the washing up. He'll be doing the washing up, and he'll start going. What are you reading? I always edit out the sound of my arm 
coming off the tablecloth because it's because it's a rubber tablecloth. It's like sticky. If you give them 4K, I think you get to name one of the rooms. So maybe I'll do that, Chris. What do you think? I'll call it the 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 Thorpe Tracy Lounge. It shouldn't. It should be called like the the Reefer Suite. The Reefer Room. I might ask Ruth if I could do that. Would you give them... How much would it be, like, four grand? Four thousand Would you pounds. really give... And also, we it, shouldn't speak about this because you're teasing them, because if they listen and they're going, oh, she's going to give us four grand, I, we just have to put a plaque with her Come on. on, come on. There's loads of people in Brighton. Come on, come on, Norman. You can give a few quid. When I used to make music and I toured, one of the best things that ever happened to me was this uh, lovely couple in Teesdale, up in the, up in the North Pennines. I stayed there a couple of times and in fact I think half the band stayed there once but stayed there and one time I turned up and they had a little plaque by their door that said like Chris TT stayed here and then in smaller letters also Emily Barker and King Creosote <laughs> I was like I tell you what mate I could just put a blue plaque above the door here outside Chris TT was here we should go for a blue plaque anyway because the house we live in's got a connection with Christy Brown, the guy that wrote the book My Left Foot, the paraplegic writer. The Northern Irish paraplegic writer who... I think he was Northern Irish. Oh, maybe he wasn't. Maybe it's just because he was played by Daniel Day-Lewis in that film. But anyway, he's got a connection with this house. He may have lived here in the very end of his life or something. And he's certainly his widow lived here. Shall we stop now? Yeah, man. And since you're reading something old, that provides a smooth segue into our new feature which is called the oldie. So each week... I don't want to call it the oldie. You don't? What would you call it then? Because the oldie makes me think this could be a segment about all the things that we don't know because we're old. Okay, so what do you want to call it? I don't know. Okay. But for now, we can call it that, all right? Yeah. Um, We watched the David Lynch film Dune. Dune! Dune! I can't remember why now. Oh, because I've never seen it, okay? I've never seen it all the way through. Maybe I have attempted to watch it in the past, but for some reason I've given up a couple of times. I really, really wanted to watch it. Um, I'm a big sci-fi fan, but a fantasy fan, and I that's just one book that I have never read. So I was intrigued, and I felt like I want to go back and watch some films that I haven't seen before that are classics, but people say are classics. I'm also a really good big fan of David Lynch because he's a master meditator and he's always banging about meditation and how it's changed his life. And he was an uptight dude. So I wanted to just see some of his films. Although every time I try and watch any David Lynch film, I get really bothered. (laughs) Um, So it was good to watch it because you've read the book. Yeah, and I've seen it probably two or three times before. But, I mean, you know how Star Wars, we all know that the f- first Star Wars, we know now that it was a bit of a mess and it had to be edited to make sense of it all. And that, it's a bit of a opera, isn't it? It's a bit, you know... There's like Space Cowboys. Space cat, space opera. Not opera. It's a space soap or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, a, it's got that quality of like good versus evil and then there are comic characters as a bit Shakespeare in, right this one is what the hell happened in the editing I don't even understand Chris had to keep stopping it <laughs> to tell me what the hell was going on and what was going what on earth was going on and so at least I got to the end this time <sighs> but it was hard work 
there were worms in it, the sand, spaceships, people talking, not talking, but talking while they weren't talking. I found it very uh, intense and weird, just like David Finch films. Sting in his pants. The villains are just too gross. Like, it isn't a good, rounded portrayal of anyone. And what it felt like, and I'm sure it felt like this last time as well, I just sort of forgotten the extent to which it feels like each scene is just a tiny snapshot of something that happens in the book. And there are these vast swathes of time and plot and character development in between all the scenes that we're not getting. We're like getting... It's almost like we're getting the previously on bit of a massive TV series. Imagine if you got like Game of Thrones and each week you got the previously on Game of Thrones. I don't think they do it previously on Game of Thrones. But anyway, you get the previously on Game of Thrones bit and then you jam them all together and that's your whole thing. That's what it felt like. And it's basically a crap film of a really interesting story with a few interesting ideas. Can't even say the performances are good, are they? Because everyone's just hamming it up to the max. Patrick Stewart pops up. Yeah. <laughs> Robin Thingybol from Blade Runner, she's in it. Oh, Sean Young is in it. Sean Very young, young Sean Young is in it. What they need to do, because it is a good story, and there's some really disturbing bits in it where some there's some bloodletting and a child that talks like an adult. Very strange. What they need to do is give it to somebody like the bloke that did Blade Runner, new one. Yeah, Danny Villeneuve. Get him to do it. <laughs> or an animated version and have like eight episodes eight films of it it'd be great and I'd buy the merch for that the main reason I did this feature was to ask you are you going to read the book now? Um, I probably I thought we had a copy but I think we might have gone when we did one of our culls of books I don't think we have a copy I don't think we ever did so we'll get a copy and you can read it oh my god and then I'll read okay. it because it did make me want to read the book again Frank Herbert's Dune is genuinely one of those great science fiction epic books it's really good it's a bit like you know the way that you can link most fantasy novels to a kind of section of history like uh like lord of the rings becomes a certain kind of ancient northern european history and what dune does is it's arabic it's like desert country Mm. history but turned into a fantasy epic what star wars then well i don't know Anyway. Oh, Catch Japan, isn't it? It's uh, Kurosawa. It's, um, you know, uh, Seventh Samurai and all that stuff. Oh, all that. I don't know. I'm, I'm riffing off the top of my head, but there's... Okay. The, the two droids in Star Wars, the two kind of comic relief droids, are based on two characters. I mean, it's all nicked off Japanese films. our books which we have an abundance of to various locations <laughs> and I still have books that really transform my that I probably over identified with when I was growing up like Isabel Allende and Alice Walker and Toni Morrison but because we watched the Maya Angelou PBS documentary the other day on um, Netflix she's such an po- amazing poet but she was an actress and a dancer and she had a really harsh life and she was an inspiration she's such an inspiration to everybody generations of her work is just there's so many young poets at the moment and I really identify with people like Rupi Kaur and um, 
loads of new people, don't know. Ruby Core, full stop, right? <laughs> I was a poet. You pick up a Maya Angelou poem, you read one, just one, anyone, you just watch her speaking, talking. She's so poetic when she's speaking that it's just incredible. I can't, I can't even put it into words. Anyway, what I thought was I'm going to revisit I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, which is the first of her six parts, six novels worth of autobiography. And um, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's what so I'm you're going to report back when you've read that? Yeah, because the thing is, when you read some of these books when you're young, when you're a teenager, they have a completely different impact on you. So when you start bagging on about how you've never seen Blues Brothers, there's also another cultural <laughs> book that you've never read, and that's Catcher in the Rye. And for me, I absolutely had my mind blown. I read it when I was 10 years old, after I'd read everything in the children's library, and my teacher at the time said, I think you need to read this. And it was all about what I identified as a 10-year-old was different to when I read it when I was a 20-year-old, when I was 15 or 20, and then when I was 30. And now, if I read it, it would be completely different again. Over, I don't over-identify with the character. I feel sorry for the character in a different way because it's, he's so much younger than me. But I think it's one of those books that um, I have absolutely nothing in common with this well-off kid from boarding school in the States and yet I identify with him because he's an outsider and he's having mental health issues <laughs> so so I'm not saying I'm decolonising the bookshelf as in I'm not throwing out all our old science fiction written by the old white blows you know I'm just saying that I need to rebalance it and make sure that what I'm reading and immersing myself with is a little bit more like Umpalari, that's what I was thinking of. Umpalari, Unaccustomed Earth, um, the Chimamanda books, Americana is a good one to start with. You know, just being aware, rebalancing it, or, you know, at least read some books by women, you know, just for a change. When you did the audit, did you come to any conclusions about what our bookshelf looks like? I think we're in a sort of almost like a second wave of remembering that we need to be aware of that when we're because there's lots of non-fiction books at the moment that are important maybe not for me to read because some of those issues I know about like The Good Immigrant it's great it's a really good collection of articles and short stories I think I don't really need to be touched like that anymore I feel it's like an education for other people that might need it one thing we could maybe do is audit who we follow on social media because what I notice is when I follow a kind of moderately famous media commentator who happens to be of a certain class and is white when they say something that's noticeable that I sort of think oh I might retweet that or I might comment on that join in the conversation around that everyone else will be completely familiar with what I'm talking about or what they're talking about it will have already been shared loads in my social circle whereas I follow quite a large number of young black people who are either like podcasters or broadcasters youtubers writers thinkers political activists and I notice that when they say something that has the same kind of resonance that is, oh, that's something that everyone should be sharing and I might share it or I might comment on it or I want to be part of that conversation, I want to join in. Hardly any of my peers, my white middle-class middle-aged peers, are even aware of who that person is. It's like um, the difference between 
I can't even think of I a think good comparison. I think you made your point. Yeah, I made my point. I, don't I think make. it's true. And, and also, because, for example, obviously, I'm a cheerleader, an advocate for women in tech, and then also people of colour in tech. And what tends to happen is that I'm following a lot of people in that scene, or illustrators or designers even, and they're all talking to each other as well so that's that's fine because they're all supportive of each other but if you're not following one of those people you're not going to see those retweets you're not going to see that i mean let's face it for some people i'm their only non-white friend on facebook so i feel like it's my duty (laughs) and once i start doing it and i try and be positive because that's another thing i had to unfollow or mute a few different things I was following because I just felt like I'm getting bombarded with really negative stuff and once I sort of felt like really helpless and it was a sort of act of well it was an act of self-care that I had to rein it in a bit and thought well I'm just spreading bad news continually we're aware of it we know now there's a lot of stuff going on in the world all the time but there's also time to celebrate and there's time to be positive and because there's enough counter that there's never going to be enough to counteract it but that's my duty really is to share that news that people aren't hearing about that i'm interested in is that the guided tour itself which we were using like audio visual headsets was not that great and they claimed it was augmented reality where you were looking at a screen and you'd look and it would be the room you were in but they would have some bits of animation to go with it and then there was a voiceover in your ear telling you about it but the problem is it wasn't augmented reality it was just a sort of computer generated graphical image of the room it didn't match onto what you were really seeing. You weren't looking through the device, you were looking at the device. And so what that produced was quite a few people who are walking around this extraordinary building. Instead of looking at the rooms themselves, they're looking at a replication of the room on a small screen. And then they miss the actual room itself. And because it's not really uh, augmented reality, it doesn't even match up to what, what the real room shape is. It's a photogram, actually, so it's a sort of scanned computer graphic of the inside of the room. And to go along with that, I also thought some of the narration of the tour was crap. Like, even not knowing much about Gaudi, I know that he was not particularly sex-obsessed, for example. That's not one of his driving creative forces. He, he was a very... That was one of the smaller of his interests. And yet they kept, like, trying to shoehorn sex into the curbs of the building. <laughs> and then also, I only know two or three stories about Gaudi's life prior to visiting this thing. And they missed them all out in the tour. And they were all good stories. Like, for example, they don't tell us this extraordinary story of how when Gaudi dies... It's quite tragic he gets hit by a tram but because he's wearing really like cheap clothing and he's anonymous and he looks a bit like a street beggar he just gets left on the street for hours and then when he finally gets taken to a hospital he gets taken to the cheap hospital because he isn't recognized and it's only when somebody in the hospital a bit later on recognizes him as Gaudi that they suddenly realize they've got this icon of the city lying in this hospital bed by which time they've basically killed he's dying he's not going to survive I find that story really compelling and tragic and interesting and it says a lot about the standards of the place and the time and then when they mention Gaudi's death in the tour they don't even mention that they just say oh when Gaudi died 
he died because he was in an accident. Well, at least they mentioned it. When we didn't see that Basquiat exhibition, they didn't even mention that he wasn't still alive. Oh, yeah, they didn't mention drugs. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. Too clean, that yeah. one. Although it's an extraordinary experience, there are some really basic errors in this guided tour that even I spotted, and I don't know that much about Gaudi. It may be, because there's about 10 to 12 different sites that you can go and visit, they might have told that story. Everyone's trying to do something a bit different, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And also, we were listening to the English language tour, which isn't necessarily the first language of the tour. But I wasn't that impressed, anyway. So here's the thing. Perhaps what we learn at this kind of tail end of capitalism and tail end of religion-instilled, monogamous, like, heteronormative relationship, marriage and children type stuff. We're coming to the end of both of those things. And what we learn is... How do you know that? You don't know that. All right, so as if we're coming to the... Or certainly we've opened up... The world has opened up a lot of alternative doors of late. Yeah. What if all along we all knew that community and friendship, like really close, proper friendship, is the most important thing? It's more important than money and it's more important than love. But, well, it is a different kind of love, but it's more important than romantic love. And we knew that all along, but that got sublimated. And it is queer history and queer culture that reminds us of that and brings it back to the fore, that we have families we can choose, we have close group, regardless of sexuality, regardless of any issues around gender or representation or intersectionality, we head into a time where clusters of close friends are the kind of dominant something. Yeah, but it's always been like that. Like in cities, that's always been the case. It's work colleagues, it's it's friends. Oh, like, I don't, you know, no, I don't. I don't or, think or it's, that's the same. Or, but okay, but it doesn't really matter. I don't think. I don't think what you your the premise of what you've just said yeah. doesn't exist yet. We are still in the throes of a very conservative, almost fascist. Uh, dictatorships around the world we're nowhere near people um, like people are incredibly conservative all over the continent of Africa the continent of Asia people really aren't anywhere near thinking looking in Australia looking at Aboriginal communities and saying oh look at the way that they look after each other that's not it's that's not the case at all it's it's not that case people I had lived in tribes for for, year, for centuries, and it was religion that made those tribes not feel safe and wiped many of them out. So yes, of course, it will be people of colour and people living alternative lifestyle who are pushing the boundaries of society, but we're a long way off. You know, if you think the civil rights movement has made everything wonderful, we're in the middle of no. <laughs> Do you think I meant we're at an end point now? Well, you were saying if we—that's what you just said. If just, we're coming to the end of. Well, of, okay. So the periods of time that I was talking I don't about know. was like half a century here and half but, a century there. I wasn't talking about the last four years when the Nazis have risen again. No. I mean, like. Well, I mean, I'm like, sorry. Or maybe I misunderstood okay, so my what question you said. Is, Yes, I'm not saying it's here now. I don't know, Do you Chris. Think it might be the road of travel. That that's the way that the door gets. I open. don't know, Chris. Apart from hallucinations. I don't know but... what you're talking about. It's hypothetical. I'm not really interested in okay. hypothetical. It's just a thought. <laughs> it's I know, but it's just not really relevant. It doesn't it make doesn't sense. Matter. 
what I'm saying is the oppression happened because of this white supremacy and religion. Yeah, that's what I said as well at the beginning. I understand, right? Yeah. So those people were marginalised because of that. So when you say we're coming to an end of that and people are, is the way forward this other thing, they'll always be there. They've always been here and they always will, they, they'll always be there. So it's not like, maybe it is, and we, yes, of course we can look to those people, but the reason they come together is because they're outside of the norm. Yeah, okay. That's the whole point, is that, that in the past, those people would have worked with the community, not not being separate so i i feel like it's a maybe that is the way forward but i think there are that everybody can choose the way that they should be living yeah without oppressing each other i like that idea of like a feudal system where everybody knew where they were and what their role should be and then people are satisfied with their if they if you're if you're in it if you're (laughs) hold on so you like the fascist system it's if they're just a bit nice to you, no, it's not. You like caste, feudal. Yeah, but that's the whole point. It originally, like royalty, and like some yeah. people are just destined to be rich, <laughs> yeah. and some people are destined to be no, nothing. No, I mean some people are destined to be to artisans. Eat mud. That sounds like a caste system. I know. That I like, like you it. Killing all social mobility. No, I'm trying to well, say which, what, in a tribe. Are you assuming you'd be up near the top? Yeah. <laughs> In a tribe, I'd be the shaman princess. You say that. I know, but what can we do? But what happens if the tribe doesn't have shaman princesses but that's the and point. you're eating mud? That's the, Well, what you're saying is, okay, in a family, there's often people who are the ones in the kitchen making all the food because they seem to be good at it. In this house, in the queer as, eye, queer as folk, queer, as, queer eye thingy, one can't one can't get in the kitchen one has to do what the other one has to do the wardrobe they've given been given roles what's wrong with that in a band you know ben plays the drums and he plays the bass you know it'd be chaos would reign yeah but you no that only works with a flat structure the roles within a flat structure is one thing you didn't talk about uh, flat structure you specifically talked about hierarchy i was sorry but what i meant was people knowing their roles that's what i was saying (laughs) that's what i was saying so cast in a horizontal structure with nobody having more power than the others but roles but like cast but like in a in a, a company, people always want to talk about flat structures. But there's always somebody who's actually paying the bills and paying the wages. Yeah, the so, workers are paying the bills and pay, and then they're earning they, the wages. If it's a co-op, if it's a co-op, no, even if it's a com- if it's McDonald's, the boss isn't paying the wages. The boss is the money paying comes the in. bills. Yeah, the boss like, doesn't do that. The workers do that by getting all the orders in for people buying their burgers. <sighs> But the boss doesn't pay anything. The boss just funnels the money up to the boss and then back down again. The that's boss siphons Marxism. Off that's not what I'm talking about either. <laughs> I've just said they also. If you're a small business owner and you have a company, you play the role of the person who's supporting everybody, but also looking at, like looking after the bills of the of the the costs of running a business. That's what I meant. The bills. Yeah, I know. I was just teasing. It's really interesting because that's, I feel like that's an order Muppet view. And then I, I'm coming at it from a chaos Muppet view, even though they're both intended to try and overturn hierarchies. Like you like the order. I don't, I don't like your hypotheses. No, fine. 
But you I'm haven't told saying, me why not yet. You've just told me. I'm just me saying that that's... You want that, a nice Mussolini well, to... No, it doesn't. No, I don't. <laughs> no. I'm explaining to you that that's not what you're... Like, the question yeah. is, how can we get rid of all the fascists so everybody can be their tr- their true trans self? That's what you're saying, isn't it? How can we, how can we be our true selves? And that's the ultimate. If you want to be a mother and have six kids and be supported by a community and be be, be able to fulfil your dreams and have your children grow up in a community, the Native Americans or somebody on the internet, someone made up this uh, poem and they attributed it to a Native American tribe. There's a phrase that I remember. We are at this crossroads. We're always at crossroads. We're always... We're on a journey all the time, right? Every day is a journey. But just check who you've got in your boat with you as you're travelling up this river of life. And that's a bit that makes me think of community and who's around you. And um, another thing that, like, mentors always talk about is about how you are the sum of the five people you spend most time with. So just look around and see who the hell you're spending time with and are they making you feel happy? Are they supporting you? Are they giving you what you need? Are they challenging you or helping you be creative or fulfilled? Or And a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people don't have one friend that does that for them. <laughs> Originally, yoga poses were the way that the body would contort when people were trying to commune with a higher force. And so a system was developed to help people loosen up their bodies so that they were able to commune without having to hurt themselves yeah maybe but it was also a way to loosen up the body through dance and to celebrate and to be um, freer and it's only our sort of Victorian upbringing that kind of made formal dance and dance and movement was always like a way to get high Um, thanks so much for listening do all the things we love you goodbye